And now, it's time for a Star Trek story. Aaron, what does it mean to reimagine something? What does it mean to reimagine something? Yeah, question of the day. Let's ponder this. What does it mean to reimagine something? I don't, can't, not just imagine. Yeah. Reimagine. Reimagine. To take a thing that's already been and redo it. Redo it. Mm. I don't know. Let's ponder this. Let's, Let's ponder this. this. I'm going to yeah. think on this while we watch Star Trek today. This is going to be the big question we're looking at today, everyone. Um, yeah, this is Star Trek Stories, episode 14, Encounter at Farpoint. Ooh, very mysterious. What will this far point be? And what will we encounter there? Uh, I dare say a reimagining. As always, I'm Jaron Hatch and joined by my lovely co-host, Aaron Cole. How you doing, everybody? Thanks for tuning in. Mm. We're going to do a 10 episode look at the growing pains of the next generation. And I know some of you longtime fans are already like holding your foreheads like, oh, no, not this era of the <laughs> of the show. This is maybe Star Trek's most infamous this is us flying directly into the electrical storm that we know nothing about, but we're mm. going to study the fuck out of it. Yeah, we're going to study mm. the fuck out of it. So to help us look at um, how Star Trek first reimagined itself, um, we've got a couple of guests um, with us today. Um, we have a new friend and an old friend. Um, Aaron, who do we have back on the show with us today? Returning to the show is our good old friend, Jake Barnes. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, Welcome back. And welcome. Glad to be here. Um, last time we had you on, we watched the classic episode, Amok Time. Amok. Which I think we all had a good time watching. Oh, yeah. Now we're moving past the original series. We all have fond feelings for the, next, uh, for the original series. Indeed. OG. But now we're moving into Star Trek The Next Generation, which I know is a personal favorite of yours. It is. It is by far my favorite. Well, I shouldn't say by far. It is uh, my favorite. The reigning favorite? Mm-hmm. Um, if you had to just really quickly, like summarize why, why Star Trek, the next generation, what about this one makes it the go-to? I think it is the shining example of, uh, what humanity could be. I think it is one of the best blueprints that we could use to follow, to have a better future as a species. Hmm. Yeah. You don't see a lot of. It's, it's, it's about as close as it gets to like mainstream utopian storytelling. And there is not a lot of other shows that do anything like that. So it does make it still pretty novel to this day. Yeah, definitely. If you look at like John Lennon's Imagine, he talks mm. about imagining a world with no borders. Gene Roddenberry imagined that. And now we have Star Trek to give us a visual. So John Lennon, audio... Star Trek visual. Somebody needs to start putting these ideas forth into action. Hopefully mm. sooner rather than later. <laughs> Come on, Elon. <laughs> Quick. Let's go. Um, well, uh, Jake, look forward to watching Star Trek The Next Generation with you. I'm very excited. It's fun to have you back on the show. I'm honored, really. I'm glad to be here. This is really fun. I enjoy doing this with all of you. Yes. Also joining us is my very good friend and one of my favorite people, the lovely Ellen Marie Lewis. It's so good to be here. Yay. <laughs> Um, we go back a few years now. Yeah, like, um, I was trying to do the math. Uh, was it 2016? 2016. Okay. The Donald Trump presidential election was when we became friends, huh? Wow. 
the, back back at the start of it when we all thought it was a joke. Oh. I think the first day I met you was also the day I found out David Bowie died, and I was not mm. the best version of myself that day. But look at us now. It didn't look at us anything. now. There was a silver lining to all of there it. There was a silver lining. Yeah, David Bowie died. Yes, we got Trump, but we we became friends. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Were those really that close together? Oh my goodness. I don't. That's terrible. What a terrible it, week that was. Time is a weird thing. Time is really weird. Um. We first met at Sundance, yeah. Sundance Film Festival. And we've kind of been like, um, we've known each other for a few years in like the ticketing world. Yeah. Kind of been like ticketing buddies. Yes. Yeah. Um, our and now, nonprofit homies. Oh yeah, our nonprofit homies, because uh, now we work both for Utah Symphony, Utah, Utah. Opera. Um, the, little, the little wall in between the two names. Yeah, <laughs> Utah Symphony. <laughs> Utah Opera. It's <laughs> <is> silent. <laughs> um, yeah, that's kind of fun. We've just kind of always been in each other's like um, professional orbit for the last few years and yeah. have just become really good friends because of it. Definitely. Um, one of my favorite things about you is that you're kind of like, in my mind, you are kind of like a, a jack of multiple like arts and media um, things. Like you have had... Uh, uh, photographs on display at the library. Yeah. Um, you hosted a radio show at, up at the university. Yes, and I've also kind of forgotten how microphones have worked during that time. I keep hitting this one, so forgive me. Oh, yeah. I've done it like three times. <laughs> I used to host a radio show. <laughs> <laughs> Not a lot of people listen to it. <laughs> I was in the corner chewing wires for that. <laughs> Um, yeah, I've always loved that about you, that you just, you stick all your hands in multiple, like, arts and media pies. Um, so what is it about, I don't know, kind of, what is it you like about engaging with our uh, arts and media? And that is a good question. Um, to be honest, I think it's just something, just culturally, that um, I feel like anyone can really make a connection to and a really just a good way to make connections with other people as well. Just like that cultural idea of like sharing stories, sharing music, I really like. Um, it's just something that's been really important to me ever since I was a child. Um, I grew up in Las Vegas and probably the two closest places to me as a kid that I would spend time outside of school were um, the local ballet theater where I took classes for about a year and immediately across the street was the library. So, you know, I'd take my dance class, I'd get out, I'd go look for books, go look for DVDs, go look for music and just consume everything that I could because it's too hot out to mm -hmm. do other things. <laughs> I think there's a ton of good like shows and galleries and stuff in Vegas too because there's just Definitely. so much fucking money there, you know? So it's like you're exposed to it a lot, I'm sure. Definitely. Yeah. And even just when I've gone back to visit the last couple of years, like a lot of things have opened up that weren't there when I was a kid. Uh, I don't know if any of you have been to the Mob Museum downtown. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the old courthouse in downtown Las Vegas, they've converted into a two or three level, like semi-interactive museum, just about the history of the mafia and then specifically the mafia in Las Vegas. And then uh, the downstairs level also has a speakeasy and they have like a code each day that you have to learn and like knock on the side of the door and they uh, distill their own moonshine there. And it's all, all of the drinks and all of the food is like actually really good too. Like you'd think it'd be very gimmicky and it's definitely very much tied to the whole mm -hmm. like mafia theme for sure um but i've had the most just like fucked up good pretzel bites of my life there 
fucked up good. Yes. It's fucked up. Not good. just good. It's the mafia, so. It's the mafia, yeah. One person died for everybody. Exactly. Here, <laughs> <laughs> licking my fingers. <laughs> um, and you're also a bit of a, not even a bit, you're a cinephile. Mm-hmm. You love movies. Um, I feel like half the time when we get together and hang out or talk, it's so much of it is like movies, 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 and film history and like all these little things, the costumes and the all the kind of nerdy stuff. I feel like we just almost every time slip into that kind of stuff. Definitely. Um, what is it you like or you think that um, – what is it about movies that speaks to you, do you think? I don't know. I'd just say out of every art form, films just really – my first love like I think there's just a little bit from each art form that kind of comes together in a really fantastic way I'm trying not to go into the whole like Nicole Kidman AMC commercial monologue (laughs) but that that is very much how I feel Somehow, heartbreak feels good in a place like this. I mean, you're already wearing the <laughs> sparkly jumpsuit. Because so. we need that, all of us. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, surprise guest, Nicole Kidman. We couldn't, we, we couldn't get Elon Musk, but we got Nicole Kidman. Come better on. deal. Yeah, I saw that commercial. Much better deal. Better. My goodness. <laughs> First thing score, I thought was, hey, IMO. <laughs> Nicole's still doing stuff. Cool. She is. Um, so, we talk about Star Trek on this show. Um... I know you've like we we mentioned earlier you had seen that one horny episode of <laughs> Star Trek. Fuck or die. Yeah. <laughs> Spock must mate. Um, <laughs> but uh, what is your like connection association with Star Trek outside of that? Is it much more or? Um, I'll be honest. I really don't have tons of a connection with Star Trek in terms of actually consuming the media. It's something that. I really appreciate its contribution to pop culture. I really like the optimism of it. I'm not a very big fan of, um, I feel like a lot of contemporary sci-fi is incredibly cynical. And I think we've talked a little bit off of the show that, you know, I I was socialized very feminine uh, growing up. So I didn't have a lot of connections to sci-fi when I was younger just because it wasn't marketed at me like it's all aimed at the little boys exactly um but I actually during my undergrad um, I double majored in film and gender studies and there was a class I took at one point called queer representation in media and there was a little bit of time during that that we had these discussions kind of about how fan fiction for a lot of people was their uh, first uh, foray into seeing queer media and you know Kirk Spock slash fic is like a huge part of it's basically what invented like fanfic and slash fic is Kirk and Spock exactly so um, any that's kind of the main connection I have is just sort of people being able to find their own identities through these two characters and kind of explore that through them so most of the episodes I've seen of the original series are ones that are very campy or very like Kirk Spock centric from other friends who also are really value queer media and like queer subtext um, as a place of interest. But I'm not as familiar with the next generation. I've seen clips here and there. Um, not a full episode. Not. A, I don't think I've seen a whole episode, to be honest. Um, I thought that there was this arcade game 
I used to play an arcade near my place in high school that I thought was a next generation one. And I was trying to like research it before coming on to be like describe it. And I could not find it again. So it may have just been an arcade game that in my mind I was like, oh, this is Star Trek, but it's not. Because <laughs> memories are weird like that. Yes, they are. Um, that's fun. Um, so this is still going to be pretty new for you. Definitely. Um, I always love the new perspectives. Um, well, maybe should we see how the, they reimagined Star Trek for the first time? Maybe see if they give us any clues as what the answer to the question? Mm-hmm. I would like to see it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we are watching Encounter at Farpoint. Um, this aired September 28th, 1987. Um, this is the feature-length premiere Star Trek The Next Generation. Um, I think that is the first feature-length episode in the franchise in general. They had not done something like this before. The original 60s cast was in the middle of a film series that was doing really well. Um, and the reruns of the 60s show at this time were still really popular. Um, so Paramount was like, we have got to capitalize on this is still a big thing for us. It's been almost 20 years and it's, it's not quitting. Um, so they're like, let's bring it back to TV. But real quick, they're like, we, there's no way we're going to be able to afford the original actors now. And frankly, they're also getting a little old now, so we can't do like a whole new show with them. So we're going to have to do something with new people, which at the time, like now we're used to all these different Star Trek casts and, but at the time, like for almost 20, 25 years, like Star Trek was that original crew and the thought of doing anything without them was essentially blasphemy. It's like, no, Star Trek is Kirk and Spock. Otherwise forget it. Um, so this was definitely like uncharted territory and waters for them. Um, so they got G- original creator Gene Roddenberry um, they're like, the only way like old fans are going to accept this is if we get Gene Roddenberry to come back on and do it, um, create a, a new incarnation. Um, he was initially reluctant to do a new Star Trek. He's like, no, like he had been kind of burned by NBC, like the original network. And like, he was kind of burned by the people doing the films. He's like, I don't, I don't really want to do all this again, but they sold him on the idea that's like, we're not going to do a network. We're not going to sell it to a network. We're going to put the show into first run syndication. So we're going to cut out the middleman and we're basically just going to sell the show directly to local television stations, which was a pretty big novel idea at the time. Um, and then they said, you're also going to have full creative control of the show. So those two things, he's like, okay. Which as a creator, that's the word you want to hear for sure. It's your show, Gene. Okay. You got it. Um, so these like early days of next generation are probably the closest we're ever going to get to like Gene Roddenberry Star Trek when it was really just his baby and he just made the show how he wanted to make it. So that'll be an interesting thing to kind of break down. Um, he decided to set the new show about like a hundred years after the original sixties show, um, just so they could like let the new show breathe um, without like the burdens of the past, but then also still acknowledging like all that still counts. This is just a hundred years later. Um, and then he brought on a bunch of people from the old show and a bunch of new people. Um, so it is this kind of mix of old and new trying to reimagine Star Trek for the first time, which I think we just kind of talked about. Like it is this kind of weird 
mixing of old and new and trying to find the right like mix of that of those ingredients um so yeah this is them coming together to reimagine star trek for the first time and we'll get to see how they did um for those of you at home listening who are going to watch along with us star trek the next generation is streaming on paramount plus um you can find it under season one episode one um <laughs> It'll pair well with a Pinot Noir. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, uh, speaking of Pinot Noir, we're going to get ourselves some wine and drinks and treats and watch this uh, special episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and come back and talk about it afterward. <laughs> we will see you all then. I need a Diet Coke. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, speaking of Pixar films. Um, what? <laughs> Star Trek The Next Generation. <laughs> <laughs> Famously part of the canon. <laughs> Jake has oh, thoughts. Really? A DreamWorks classic. Um, well, yeah, we always start with our initial thoughts. Um, Ellen, we'll start with you since you're the newbie. Um, I feel very on the spot. <laughs> into Star Trek and Star Trek Generation. What are your initial thoughts and feelings coming off of what we just watched? I I really liked it. I'm definitely interested in continuing onward and watching uh, more of this iteration. And I don't, it's one of those ones I di- I knew that you know Next Generation was you know very beloved, performed really well in ratings. I wasn't expecting to recognize as many characters outside of Picard as I did as someone who's more of a person who's casually aware of Star Trek. Mm. So it wasn't totally new. It's like, oh, I gotta. Th- I think I know that. I think I know that. Yeah, like I think I know that guy. Like, that was yeah. that's fun because we were kind of last week we were watching Star Wars, and we had your friend Aaron Kelsey Johnson on, mm-hmm. and they had never seen Star Wars. But it's like, even then, it's like, but I know what this is, and 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 that's always interesting. It's like you can't even come in fresh with some of these things, I completely just, fresh. 100% just like the pop culture like impact that it has like there's just been references to this like so many times like throughout the past several decades that there's always like that little that little endpoint even for casual viewers mm-hmm. um, Jake the snake initial thoughts on what we just watched yeah um, it's not the worst episode of Star Trek no I have seen nor is it the best. No. Um, it definitely falls somewhere right there in the middle. I think for a pilot, it succeeds in the checklist that it had to introduce us to many different things. Um, but there were things about it, uh, particularly the script, that um, seemed kind of heavy-handed to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. little hit me over the head. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, one particular line that comes to mind is when we're introducing all these characters, um, Worf actually stands up and says, I'm a Klingon, which means duh, duh, duh. I think there's a, an, a more creative way to introduce that character to the audience than an I am statement and then listing the things that they are. Mm-hmm. Um, Show, don't tell. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily insulting to the audience, but we are... We are intelligent enough to pick up on these things, um, especially the things that he talks about. He's like, I'm a Klingon. I can't back down. And they could have just shown us that. Mm-hmm. And that would have been. Anyway, that's uh, initial thoughts. Yes. Mm. Certainly is one of the episodes of all time, would you say? <laughs> it, it is an episode of all time. <laughs> <laughs> of all the episodes. An episode. It is an episode mm-hmm. of all time. All time. Agreed. <laughs> uh, Aaron, initial thoughts. Um, have you watched this one recently or? You know, I did. Um, we had watched it over a couple of days cause it was on for noise. And then we actually sat down a couple of days later and watched it. Um, I think it succeeds as a pilot. Like you said very much. It's a good, like I was trying to watch it from the perspective of like I was an original series purist and I'd never seen anything like this. And I came in and I saw this new trick. Mm. What would I think? Would I accept it as a fan? And I think so. I think, the heart is there. 
I like the characterizations a lot, particularly with Picard, uh, Riker, and Data stand out. Uh, Crusher, the Doctor as well, very strong. Uh, yeah, I think I, as a fan, I would continue. Can't say much for the rest of the season, but like this one, th- this is like a shining moment in this first season. I feel like this first episode. Mm. Um, it kind of just shows you what could be coming down there, like. Sure. Like, okay, I can see why this might be an interesting thing to continue on with. Yeah. And I was thinking, like, I had a thought, like, maybe this episode is a reason why it stuck around, like, why they didn't get canceled after the first season is because you saw the potential in this first episode for how good it could be, Mm -hmm. the things they could explore. I could imagine it being pretty jarring from the original series cast, too, though. Uh, The opening shot is a silhouette of this captain who is at least aesthetically, extremely different from Kirk. We find out that, you know, they also have different personalities, but just that initial shot, it's just a silhouette of Patrick Stewart's head, now an iconic head that you could probably spot anywhere just by its silhouette. And um, another thing that stuck out to me is that he's wearing red. And in the original series, the, the red shirt people are kind of the expendable characters, like, you know, Lieutenant... Lieutenant, who gives a fuck, died. <laughs> and just kill them. we just kind of move on with the story, and then we start out, and the most powerful character is wearing red. Basically, a death sentence. Maybe yeah. Starfleet recognized that. And you know what? Like, let's make our leaders red, and then it won't, it won't happen anymore, right? Yeah. What one thing I was looking at too, um, just kind of going back to Patrick Stewart as Picard. Like, I remember William Shatner was pretty young on the original series as a captain. Um, Patrick Stewart was about 47 years old when this pilot aired, and he'd had a lot of you know credits as um, an actor in the theater before, but this was kind of what launched his career in film and television a lot more, made him more of a household name. And I feel like a lot of times you don't really get that big break in your 40s usually by then. Like if you're not on film or TV, you probably won't it's get that opportunity. Um, yeah, it is interesting. Like he, this is what made his, made him a household name and, you know, almost 50. Yeah. It's almost like Julia Child, you know, she was a nobody. And then suddenly, you know, age of 50, whatever. Now everyone in the world knows who I am. (laughs) Does that happen often though? He's been almost 50 his whole career. There are some black and white shots of him as a young actor where it's like, okay, he had like maybe two or three years in his twenties where he did actually look like he was 20. (laughs) And then from then on perpetually 50 mm-hmm. poor guy <laughs> i mean i mean even now he's like you know in his 80s and he's still perpetually yeah <laughs> pushing 50 yeah. uh <laughs> pushing um, not quite there yet it's interesting like like you said jake um they show you this image of picard right off the bat um there's a few things and like the and also with like the red there's a few things right at the get-go there, whether it's like, this is not your dad's Star Trek, where it's like, here's this, first thing you see is the, this new Enterprise, mm. which definitely, while similar, does not look, it's got a different look and vibe than the old 60s ship. A new monologue? New monologue, like, um, and then, yeah, first thing after the Enterprise is they show Patrick Stewart, and it's really quickly telling you, like, this is not William Shatner. Mm-hmm. 
you know, who have now, of course is so iconic because of Star Trek, you know, even now everyone kind of knows it. If you, even if you haven't seen it, you know, William Shatner is that Star Trek guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and the spoken word version of um, Common People by Pulp. <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> and Rocket Man. Rocket Man. Rocket Man. Burning out his fuse. Out here alone. Classic. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and then they show you like, oh, and yeah, he's wearing red. Mm-hmm. And at this point, yeah, like there was a pop culture thing. I'm like, all the red shirts always die on, on Star Trek. And that's like, guess what? The captain's in red now. It's like, so there's a few things right at the get-go. They just, for especially the longtime fans, it's like, they just hit you with a few. It's different. Yeah. Um, it is it is somewhat jarring. I could imagine, I don't know, being um, uh, very taken aback by it. And we keep uh, going back to this term reimagining, but uh, to me, watching this, it felt more like evolution mm. because they are, it is the same world just in the future. Whereas like the Chris Pine Star Trek feels like a reimagining. Mm. A reboot, um, we're redoing it. Yeah, whereas this feels like a continuation and uh, we have parameters that we have to act within, but I think it gives a lot of freedom to design elements, you know? That's how we get these lovely one onesies jumpsuits, <laughs> oh. zipper in the front. So we have the episode <laughs> kind of playing in the background right now, um, and right as we started, I noticed a shot that I can't stop thinking about. So we were talking a little bit earlier about, I don't remember what term we were using, but the kind of like uh, tennis skirt kind of vibe that a lot of people are wearing the scant the scant scant. uh so uh picard's coming up the elevator thing and there's a a young man in a scant who's like bending down to pick something up and the camera just like immediately like tilts up really dramatically (laughs) 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 don't look up the scant yep it's amazing because in the 60s show all the women are wearing the most ludicrously short skirts imaginable. It's like if they were to like bend over, it would leave nothing to the ima- to the imagination. It's wild how short those things are, and you get this weird, interesting gender like uh, like equity now, where now the guys have <laughs> super short skirts, and if they bend over, you're gonna see. All of it. <laughs> like see into their souls. <laughs> it's souls, yes. wild. I kind of love it though. Like I do too. So much of um, the. Unfortunately, the scants don't last longer than the first season. Oh dang! Everyone just goes into pants and shirt kind of yeah. a thing down the road. And you know, but you know, it kind of bums me out because so much of over the years when you see like, okay, now we're all women don't have to dress just this one way. Um, now we can kind of bounce it out and women can wear pants, but it's always this like women can wear what men can wear Mm -hmm. and it's not really the opposite. And I love how this is one of the rare examples where it's like, yeah, you see like Yar in pants, but now you see like some of the guys in the background wearing the skirts. I'm like, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. why isn't there more of that? I love it. And they get rid of it. Yeah, that's equity. (laughs) You do see the dress uniforms that, but they're wearing pants, but they do come down to almost knee length. Yeah, those dress tunics. They literally like talk about like why do they have to look like dresses? Yeah. Worf does. He's all complaining like they look like dresses. <laughs> <laughs> they're wearing a sash, bro. <laughs> <laughs> sash. It's a battle sash. Um, this one for me is it's a wild kind of an episode. There was something I noticed while we were watching it, and I feel like this is. 
that's an interesting, like we were really hooked for like, and quiet for like the first 30 minutes when Q shows up. And we had a few times where we started laughing and joking, but for the most part, like there's a lot of tension right at the beginning with this Q being, and then like the court trial, and then like we're putting you on trial for the crimes of humanity, and it's like it's all, it's a little cheesy, yeah. <laughs> Boo, just jester, jester, <laughs> jester. Ring the bell. Boom, boom. It's it's a bit silly, but it's also very dramatic and intense. Um, and then it's like, okay, we're, you're going to go to this far point station and that's going to be your test to prove your worth. Okay. And then for like the next 60 minutes, it just has a much more casual, all right, I guess we're solving this thing. But They, they go to the mall, they go on a hike. <laughs> <laughs> we got to introduce the holodeck and all these other things. Yeah. It's like they, the vacation I went on to Burbank like a week ago. <laughs> I think I did the same activities. That's it. It's a weird pacing where it just feels really energetic at the beginning and then feels very leisurely mm. for the rest of it until you get a climax. And it's a very interesting way to do like a first episode. They could have tied the concept of the the ending aliens together a little better with the holodeck, I feel like. Talking about like patterns in the transporter and what they're able to create as a species and whatever. I thought it was a cool idea. Like the jellyfish that can turn themselves into whatever. That was a cool alien. They, they yeah. could have done a lot more with that. The initial um, plot seemed rather thin to me mm. where Picard was like, well, we either do what he says or we have to go back to Earth with our tail tucked between our legs. It's like, yeah, avoid the conflict. Like, I don't understand. Pride is the reason he continues to mess with Q, which I find interesting choice. Mm. Fuck you, I'm going anyway. Yeah, it's like, well, we, we have to fight him or we'll look like ninnies. <laughs> we gotta. Um, I guess, yeah, there is some weird, uh, interesting behind-the-scenes stuff where... Like initially, they weren't sure if it was going to be like an hour long, if it was going to be like a premiere episode, like a feature length episode. Gene Roddenberry only wanted it to be an hour long, so that's what it, it was initially written as just a like an 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 hour episode, and that's all the Farpoint Station stuff. And then they're like, no, it has to be a feature length episode. So Ro- Gene Roddenberry came in and wrote all the Q stuff around it. Did it air as a feature or was it because it says part one and two or did it air consecutively two weeks in a row? When it first aired, it it was just this one big event episode. And then for later for reruns, they would always split it into two parts, part one and two. That's one thing that we talked about a little bit too while we were watching that I thought was interesting was the halfway through point. They had the like, here's what you missed last time. (laughs) And they like blended seamlessly into the plot where they were like here like sit down we have to recap you on what we just went through before you arrived (laughs) yeah if they sneak it into the actual episode in universe very funny Mm -hmm. um they also use mccoy to kind of introduce data in a way is like this is the vulcan-esque character he's not a vulcan he's an android mm -hmm. but we're gonna give you this scene that seems kind of strangely out of place Mm -hmm. uh to just give you that moment it does. It seems like a fan service moment. It's kind of shoehorned in there mm-hmm. a little bit. It's a little bit like... Bones from the 60s show, just with yeah. this random cameo. Mm-hmm. And 
Oh, I guess you're an android. Well, yay. Good luck, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you aboard? <laughs> oh. Bye. Thanks for the paycheck. Right. Bye forever. <laughs> Bye forever. Um, but also on that note with data, just in general, how do we feel about how does this do, how well does this introduce the characters this for this new iteration? Well, like I said before, I, I think it does a good job of introducing them. I just think it does it in a rather uh, heavy-handed way. Mm. But... Um, from a performance standpoint, Brent Spiner is great. His um, he's consistent. Data. He's he's very good. He's well rehearsed. He did his homework. You can see the work being put on screen, and that's nice to see. And same with Patrick Stewart. the The dedication, the commitment um, from those two, and and uh, Deanna Troy as well. As I'm looking at this, and she's crying. Um, the dedication, I think, really helps uh, let the characters come through in this first episode. Mm. Commitment. Commitment. Even though it's a silly, it, it, I'm sure they felt kind of silly doing it. I think, I mean, kudos to, I think the one who sells this whole thing is Patrick Stewart. Like, mm-hmm. it, it, it's very silly. It's kind of wonky and, you know, but he he is just so grounded and just takes it so seriously. And he's still larger than life, like William Shatner, but not in the same way. It's just, it's much more of this Shakespearean gravitas. He almost feels like King Lear or, almost, some, or something out there. It's almost like you won a Laurence Olivier Award or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think just because he takes it so seriously and gives it everything. He, he's not... You don't get this vibe. It's like, oh, damn it, I'm in this silly science fiction show it's like he is 100 percent dedicated and committed and that dedication i think is what carries the episode forth it's like some of the other characters feel a little like okay i don't you don't feel too defined yet or like like it's hard to get a pulse on say like yar except for like she's just has outbursts Mm -hmm. i'm the security officer and ah let me do something um and troy just seems like okay you're like the really empathetic one Picard, though, really, I think, feels the most like, okay, he feels like this very serious, dedicated explorer who's got a kind of passionate passion for, he's got a lot, he feels like a very passionate man, mm-hmm. but is very just like, Kirk felt young and dashing, and he feels very seasoned and experienced, and mm-hmm. he, he loves being out there, but he's been out there for a while now. Yeah. Um, the other characters, I don't know, feel like a mixed bag to me, though, in terms of how well they come across. Mm-hmm. depending on who we're talking about. Data changes so much. I think His, they all kind of do to some yeah. degree. Yeah, I mean, like character arcs and stuff. But he, I mean, he's much more human in this pilot than he, he becomes, like, even in this first season. They, like, yeah. scale that way back. They peel back the layers. and make Moments where he smiles and looks confused and things. Yeah. Yeah, he plays it much more just super unemotional, stoic in the later stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Riker, too, we said, kind of feels... Like Riker's famous for even you, Alan said like Jonathan Frakes just feels like this chummy, kind of silly, fun guy. And yeah, but yeah. the Riker he's playing in this just feels so different from the guy that greets you that. with gun fingers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever been to a Chinatown in a major city? Do you recall the tallest man that you've ever seen? Do you love to go wandering in the pale blue sky? <laughs> Have you hear, had your hearing tested recently? <laughs> 
<laughs> Have you seen what they're doing with themed restaurants lately? <laughs> um, I have a friend who uh, nannies a toddler who asks a lot of questions, and we always just send that video to each other, and we're like, that's Vivian, that's her. <laughs> um, I think the, the other character who probably comes across the strongest and best is actually John Delancey as Q. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. As, mm-hmm. Aside, him and Patrick Stewart kind of feel like they're stealing the whole show anytime they're doing their, their thing. They do. Yeah. They steal it. As you were saying, I mean, we didn't really talk through any of the scenes where they're <laughs> together. Mm-hmm. It always got quiet for them. Yeah. And then when, like, I don't know, Riker's wandering through the holodeck or whatever, it's like, Oh, so about <laughs> start talking about something else. Um, any scene with Wesley? <laughs> I think we talked over every single Wesley Crusher scene. <laughs> Bless his heart, Wesley Crusher. We also have this kid aboard. Okay, yeah. You have to show him, starring his sweater of the week. <laughs> yeah, he gets a couple sweater changes. <laughs> They're all in the same onesie the whole time, but he gets in a couple sweater changes. <laughs> there was that cringy Riker moment with Wesley. He's like, welcome aboard. <laughs> Gives this weird smile. <laughs> what was that about? If I was Wesley, I would be freaked the fuck out. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> like, mom, that guy is not okay. It's like that smile that like Alana does on Broad City. Like, here do that face i hate <laughs> um they really push the point too that at this point in time humanity has overcome their savagery yeah that's, they, a, that's a point they keep hitting home oh yeah over and over even yes. compared to you always got this feeling in the original show that they were living in a better world but still mostly space adventures in this one they almost like directly speak to like humanity has evolved and we yeah. are so much better now. Like Picard is just like, no, we are awesome. What are you talking about? Right. Um, you don't see a, a lot of shows where a main character is taking that like tax seriously. No, we are an amazing species and worthy of survival. We yeah. used to be evil, not anymore. Whereas, Source. Yeah. <laughs> um, so many shows nowadays, I feel like are speaking to this idea that like, oh, humans... Like we're always just corruptible and always just a problem. And it's, mm-hmm. it just feels so weird to just have a show be so explicit in its optimism. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, like he, he feel like he's almost doing this where he's pounding it in his <laughs> fist. We are the best. <laughs> <laughs> kind of wild, kind of trippy. It's almost, it almost still make it makes a novel still now. Just like, I feel like you still don't, wouldn't see a show go this route. I feel like even, with things that are more just like straight comedies, like there was this kind of like resurgence of optimism for a little bit, but I feel like even that's kind of starting to wane out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not something I feel like I see very often in more genre pieces Mm-mm. ever, like not even around the time that this came out either. Yeah. I mean, even something like, like recently there was like Rings of Power and like, which is like, you know, Lord of the Rings TV show. But if you watch Lord of the Rings, it just has this good versus evil and good is triumphant. And But then it rings a power in this kind of modern sense, even something like that, that's so clearly black and white with good and evil. That's like, oh, but Galadriel's now a conflicted character. It's like, mm. even like what things that had a reputation for being this, oh, kind of now it's like, but we have to be gritty and serious with it now. You know what I mean? 
sometimes I'm like, is that always needed or warranted? I mean, nuance, certainly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but not like dark and gritty just for the sake of being dark and gritty. Right. There has to be intention behind it. It just feels like almost the laziest way to make something artificially dramatic. It's like, but it's dark and gritty. It's like, mm-hmm. well, whoop do you fucking do? But is, is is it interesting? Well, and the like, power there's... of storytelling can get us caught in that perpetual yeah. negative outlook on humanity there's and so... not propel us. Sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. I was cutting no. you off. Please do. Oh, I was going to say a lot of kind of more contemporary things like that, like reboots that come out that are darker and grittier just feel like um, those college humor videos from like the late 2000s would be like the dark version of Magic School Bus where there's like a murder or something and it's like a movie trailer. It's like there, there's so many things like that now that are reboots of things, but it's just that unironically, that without like the, the wink and like the humor to it where it's like, mm-hmm. it really is just like, dark gritty magic school bus like <laughs> not even pretending we're just going to put the nolan filter over it and just go for it yeah 100 mm-hmm. seat belts everyone oh bad oh bad oh bad <laughs> maybe that's a product of where we are as a as a human species a little bit that we don't quite buy that optimism so much in media because mm-hmm. there's moments in ring of power rings of power where like gandalf has a moment in particular where he says, he literally says, I'm good. It might just be that line, but it was so corny. Like in the context, in that I'm moment. good. Suspension of disbelief, whatever I had for the show, which wasn't much, gone, <laughs> shattered. <laughs> um, but you know what's interesting also to reflect on? So the original 60s show, um, it was 66 to 69. That was not a particularly optimistic time in American history. It's like Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Civil War. So even then, like civil that, rights, yeah. And it was, it was even then, it was kind of a show going against the grain. Like there was all this uh, civil and um, um, international turmoil going on, and they're like, oh, "I'm going to do the show that feels all bright, and, and the future's going to be awesome." And the '80s were like, it was like a resurgence of the Cold War, you know. And still, they're like, "No, it's going to be awesome in the future." Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, it was. It's interesting with this. Like this was also when Gene Roddenberry was in his kind of visionary phase of his career and life. Like he had done this. He'd gotten this reputation as the creator of Star Trek, and it's like it's such a forward-thinking, progressive thing, and fans just were ate it up. And so he really cultivated this image of him being this, like, I created this amazing future. <laughs> so at this point, Roddenberry was like, I'm going to, I'm doubling down on all that stuff. And I'm going to show everyone this amazing, beautiful vision I have for humanity and everything. It's kind of interesting. doesn't always work though. Um, <laughs> Cause like you said, they're just telling us. Yes. Jake, that, like Worf telling I am this and Picard saying we are awesome yeah you know it's like like just show us that and we can take that well here's the big dilemma it's like this whole thing is set up as like here's the test to prove how awesome you are do we feel like this test really like showed how incredibly amazing humans are no but I think it did show that we have the capacity to be not savage Mm-hmm. We have the capacity for something, for empathy, for compassion, uh, for critical thinking, to go beyond those those 
base primal emotions and and assess you know i think yes it did prove that we are capable but it wasn't just the best test of is humanity good no yeah yeah the best test of humanity are those very comfortable chairs on the bridge <laughs> that's how you know <laughs> It's kind of like curl up in one of those and take a little nap. Mm. It looks so comfy. Banana chair helm. They I'm finally down. came up with comfortable work chairs. Clearly, <laughs> humanity has evolved. It only took 400 years yes. to, to, to get there. But we're there. It is the blueprint for the future. Um, How do you think? I mean, this is certainly a product of the 80s. It's mm-hmm. got 1980s written all over it. Like, like the sweaters alone. <laughs> <laughs> How do we think this plays, and Alan, you could probably speak to this the most, but how, do, how does this play in 2023? I'd say there definitely are elements just aesthetically to it that feel dated. Like, that's going to happen with anything regardless of how much they try to make it look futuristic or contemporary. But I feel like there's kind of this 20-year cycle in you know American culture of kind of like conservative ideas versus like more progressive ideas and we're kind of forecasted at this point to be in a more conservative place you know I'm starting to see a lot of sentiments now that really feel like you know being a child in the early 2000s when like the Iraq war was happening like Mm. kind of hearing similar takes from people about world news and world events and this definitely feels like something that was kind of created in reaction to the era that it came out, like, you know, this being very much like firmly during the Reagan administration. And I, don't know, I feel like we're in kind of a entering kind of a similar phase again, culturally. So mm. I, don't, I feel like the ideology behind it and kind of what they're trying to present about humanity, about what the future can be, um, is something that I think has looped back around to kind of resonating again and kind of speaking against what the zeitgeist is starting to lean towards, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just something yeah, progressive. And this, yeah, as soon as you said Reagan, I'm like, oh, this definitely feels like a kind of, if not conscious, subconscious reaction or response to like 80s Reaganism. Because mm-hmm. this is certainly not Reaganism. Nope. Nope. <laughs> It'll trickle down, we promise. Any day. <laughs> <laughs> um, interesting. Jake, how do you think this play? I mean, you've seen this before, but you kind of got into Star Trek relatively more recently in the last few years. So mm-hmm. how, how, does, like, how does this play for like a modern audience? Um, I agree that the, there's a lot of the design elements that uh, definitely seem dated, um, but a lot of the context and the, the, the things that they're bringing up are extremely progressive. Um, but there are also things that we've thought about forever. Mm-hmm. Why are we here? What is existence? What is out there? What is beyond the stars? Um, a modern take, but also something humanity has always wondered. Mm. I find it uh, also very cool that I'm, we were talking about the scant. And I, I think that plays well with the modern audience. Yeah. I think that plays extremely well with the modern audience. And um, if Strange New Worlds or any of the Star Trek shows that are out right now should take a, a page out of this and go forward with the scant. 
I'm all for it. I hope so. <laughs> I'd love to see it. Even now. Yeah, because modern Star Trek very much paints itself as being very modern, progressive. Yes. I'm like, give us the scant. <laughs> if you, if you are the super progressive, <laughs> one, give us the scant. Mine they did this back in the 80s. Um, you still have these um, ideas, though, um, of military within this. Mm-hmm. We were talking about the costumes and stuff. Uh, sometimes the costumes are more of like a practical nature of fighting enemies and running and jumping and all these things. All the more reason why the skirt seems so ridiculous in the original series. It's like, can't really <laughs> outmaneuver the enemy in these <laughs> mini skirts. So I, I, that's cool. The, the, the jumpsuits, though, are really unattractive. They're really bad. And I think in the later seasons, they, they do switch to a different um, uniform, but they keep these for the extras. If you look closely, the extras in some of the later episodes, they're still wearing these damn jumpsuits. The onesies, yeah. Probably because the customer's like, we're not making more. We, we have these already. They're made. Yeah, they basically do like <laughs> a, a shirt and pants version of these uniforms right. later on. But yeah, all the background people still wearing They're the still onesies. in the jumpsuits. <laughs> Why are we always in uniform jumpsuits in every like imagining of the future? Oh my I God. think that's a Seinfeld bit. Yeah. Why are we silver boots. Yeah. The, you know, <laughs> we got to present a uniform front here. We're going to we're going to be collective on this one. And what's the deal with airline food? <laughs> <laughs> um it's always interesting trying to d- imagine what the future and some things seem like it would be really difficult more than others. It's like, yeah, we can imagine what faster than light travel might look like, which sounds ridiculous, but what does future fashion look like? And it's like Good question. <laughs> I, I think it's interesting even for things that aren't straight sci-fi that a lot of things set in the future really lean into kind of this like very retro space age kind of aesthetic like I know very like Jetson Z very like googie architecture kind of vibes like mm-hmm. I feel like in a lot of ways, unless it's something that's really cynical and it's like, everything is torn down, everything's fire and brimstone. It's either that or like the Jetsons. Like, there's no middle ground, I feel like. <laughs> the okay future. <laughs> it's like his wife. Yeah. <laughs> Modern skyscrapers next to like medieval architecture in Belgium or something. Like, somewhere <laughs> in between. What, one thing that I'll say that I feel like does a really interesting job is uh, there was a movie at Sundance probably about 15 years ago called Robot and Frank that's like kind of set in the future where like kind of robots that provide like personal care for like the elderly become kind of more mainstay commonplace but the settings and how people dress feel very grounded in like what current reality looks like you know there's like a scene where someone's at a library and it's definitely like a building from like the 70s or 80s just that the environments that we're in aren't going to like suddenly drastically change one day Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. you know things continue to just kind of change slowly over time even if technology evolves really quickly yeah right yeah we hold on to anything like it, if anything is true, like we hold on to all that old tech and all those old buildings and stuff for as long as we can. Not mm-hmm. so much in America, but in other yeah, places. <laughs> definitely not in Salt Lake. But <laughs> Mm-mm. down. Um, though I guess Star Trek does say like, oh yeah, at some point in the 21st century, there's just a mass nuclear holocaust. So I've, you know, sorry. I guess <laughs> I guess that's the Great Reset. Yeah, that's <laughs> rock bottom. There's got to be a better way to do this, guys. All the all the old fashion was lost. <laughs> well, what do we got? Onesies. 
<laughs> it's like, wait, we found three sweaters. <laughs> Will Wheaton, you can have them. Yeah. We can rebuild. <laughs> They're from 1987. <laughs> <laughs> um, how how does this play? Do you guys think this? And some are fans, and some are more new. Does this play better? Do you think for like new people coming in, or better for pre-existing fans? Pre-existing fans, you think? Yeah, I would agree with that. Pre-existing fans, mm. I'd say so too. Like, I really enjoyed it, but as someone who, as I've said, does not have a lot of knowledge of sci- sci-fi, there is definitely this idea watching this that you're familiar with the tropes from the original series, from other sci-fi works. Mm. Um, that I do not always have. <laughs> mm, that's kind of like maybe some of the novelty and appeal. It's Star Trek, but. Yes. Even though it's also trying to be something new at the same time. But maybe that's kind of what they're leaning into. It's like, here's how we're doing it different, though. I don't know how you did it different, so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I think there's some of the, it's, because um, Aaron, you know, Jake, we've seen the whole series. We see how it grows and changes over time. And it most certainly does. Mm-hmm. It does not, the show does not really have the same vibe later down the road. It has a very different kind of a feel. Yes. Um, this feels it, it, it does. There is a kind of modern sensibility. It's still got some of the 1960s kitsch in there, though. Like I don't think it's it, that. Eventually, kind of all fades away. The 60s kitsch that still seems like it's still it's here a little bit. It's jeans still. Yeah, very much involved. Mm-hmm. And when his hand is involved, you'll always get the original series. A lot of that. Mm-hmm. That's why I think you have data as a character at all is he's Mr. Spock. Mm-hmm. Even how, how they film some of it, like cause in some of the classic episodes, we kind of commented on the very theatrical staging mm-hmm. of the episodes and how they would really hone in on the actors faces and let them react to things. And there's still kind of some of that in this where they really hang on some of the actors' reactions. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. For a definitely. while, where they're all just kind of looking at us. Comically, and... they hold it sometimes. <laughs> 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 there was one shot of Riker that was 30 Go-go. seconds too long. Oh, I did not God. realize what was happening. There. Just slowly turning oh, yeah. in his chair <laughs> after the recap. Then looks at the camera. Wait for it. Wait for it. <laughs> Wait for it. And that's what he calls a little adventure. <laughs> Cut. Um, Nailed it. <laughs> similarly with that, too, just some of the musical cues. Like, I really enjoy the score, but the musical cues are so over the top, just, like, swelling music. Like, you you all may remember that for a second, because when uh, Picard sees uh, the Crusher family for the first time, there's this huge swell, and for a second I was like, is Picard the baby daddy? And yeah. He's not. He's definitely not. But just the way that the score was, it was like, oh, this is like he's seeing like a long-lost lover for the first time and seeing his son for the first time. Yeah, because they just, I think, had a few scenes before had the moment with Riker and Troy yeah, very who are music. seeing each other on the bridge, and there's this kind of long-lost romance music playing that's almost a similar kind of thing mm-hmm. they're doing for Picard and Crusher it's like oh is it them too <laughs> oh no okay I think they set up her telepathy right there too for the first time she's not just empathetic but she can she can transfer thoughts to other minds do you remember what I taught you Imzadi that accent of hers yeah <laughs> captain I'm sensing an alien presence 
Her little alien accent. It's like, what accent is that? <laughs> You're the only one on your planet that has it. Yeah, when they show other Betazoids, <laughs> no, her when her mom shows up, just has an American accent, right. and she's still speaking with, oh, hello there, Captain. Starship has its customs Mother. just as we do. Mother. She must have had like a, a university sabbatical on like a colony moon or something. That's where she picked up the accent. It's like the summer I spent in Italy, but worse. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I feel like Riker's here almost as like a palate cleanser to Picard's harshness. Mm. Like I feel like the writers knew and everyone knew that like this guy's going to come across as a hard ass. He does. And we need some shoot from the hip Kirk style, if you will. Yeah. Um, very handsome man to come in and be first officer and kind of balance out this very rigid child hating Child captain, hating captain. captain. <laughs> 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 make sure i project that. fire and ice like kirk and spock but in a different way mm. the, the young and up-and-coming officer and the seasoned captain yeah yep that's that's probably something we should comment on is they don't go into it a lot in this episode but there are our kids on the ship mm-hmm. no you never saw that in the old show like that one this that was a very bold new idea. It's like no, there's gonna be like kids and families on the ship now. Yeah, and it's it, a hotel. Yeah, it's like a space hotel now, mm-hmm. rather than the original show for the all the colorful shirts and yeah ridiculous light schemes they had on the ship. It was still like a military ship. Right. This this still has that, but it does have that luxury liner. Even the walls are cushioned. Yeah. The yeah. the carpet. <laughs> Even nowadays, when you see science fiction, it's always like like spaceships are always like metal and metal grating and everything. And here it's like these plush seats, the carpeting, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, yeah, they got the designers from Lincoln to come over and do the interior. <laughs> if the original enterprise is a Mustang, this is definitely a Lincoln or a Jaguar. Lincoln continental <laughs> luxury vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The show gets a little more into that idea of like family and kids, not so much in this one, except for maybe like Wesley, and his mom, even though it's kind of more of a periphery thing in this episode, still kind of a wild idea. We should also maybe mention Worf, just mm-hmm. because of all the characters, he's the one that's like, they almost forgot to do anything with him. Like, he's barely in it, except all you know is like, I'm a Klingon officer. And that's all you get with him for yeah. 90 minutes. Yeah. It's kind of weird. They don't do anything with him except just say, we have a Klingon on the ship. Cool. From my understanding, he becomes a very key character as Mm -hmm. this progresses, correct? Oh, yeah. One of the biggest for sure. Probably Picard, Data, and Worf in that order, I would say, in terms of who becomes like the big important characters over the course of the whole show. Worf becomes a franchise character. He crosses over into other series. Yeah, he becomes a series regular on yeah. Deep Space Nine. So, yeah, I think he's got more episodes under his belt than any other Trek actor because mm. of that. That's amazing. Yeah. He seems so unsure in the role in this first episode. Like, he d- hasn't quite figured it out yet. You know, mm-hmm. still figuring out the voice, still figuring out, like, the looks. I think he was a last-minute addition, like, in the original, like, when they were outlining it and who are the characters going to be. He was, like, a last-minute Gene was like, let's just put a Klingon in there. Um, which definitely how it comes across it. He does not feel much more than just 
And there's a Klingon. <laughs> um, I guess kind of interesting, though, it is, but it's, it's another one of those things like signalers. This episode feels very much signaling to you that, again, it's not your dad's Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And if you're a new person, you have no context for like, okay, there's this pointed, four-headed dude on the ship. Cool. But if you're a fan of the old show, you know the Klingons were like yeah. the arch enemies in the old 60s the show. Dad. Um yeah, this the unplacable, the implacable foe, mm-hmm. and suddenly in this episode they don't really talk about it, but there's a Klingon who's part of Starfleet now. Yeah, so there is some sort of peace. Yeah, something in has this changed. last hundred years. Yeah, um, I like that though. I mean, I wish they did more with it, but it is a, I guess a, a good little visual shorthand for the times have changed. Yeah, and more, it is, more showing, not telling. Yeah. Except for the part where he says, oh, I'm a Klingon. I'm a yes. Klingon. <laughs> and being a Klingon, I do X, Y, and Z. I am an android. And being an android, I do. Um, I am far superior, sir. That is huh. the one thing I like, though, because in so many big IPs and franchises, you get this, like, no matter what, the Joker's a bad guy. In Star Wars, the Sith, no matter what, are always the bad guys. Nothing changes over the years. So just the fact that Star Trek says, like, we had this big bad, and now, I guess not anymore. Now their whole relationship, and Next Generation shows how that whole relationship is completely different now. They're allies now, like uneasy allies. Um, I like that. I like, I feel like so many franchises get stuck into, like, what what, what what do you remember? Remember this? Mm -hmm. Remember this? Yeah, it's that again. Um. And I like how this show is like shows that there is growth and change that happens even in a fictional universe. I don't mm-hmm. think you always get that. Mm-hmm. Um, God, always wanted to speak to like what you remember, the nostalgia. Klingons are the bad guys, though, right? Not anymore. Oh, right. hmm. yeah. Like, look at your history to project the future. You know what I mean? Look at Britain and France. Right. Right. Um, Not exactly the best of friends, but uneasy allies. Because even like I think the OG Klingons are modeled after the Russians of the time. Um, And then the wall comes down during Star Trek The Next Generation. So it's almost like almost prophetic in that the old enemies aren't the enemies anymore. Mm Kind of wild how even Star Trek was slightly ahead of the curve on it. Um, What do you think? What is the what? So we kind of talked about a little bit what makes it work but what do you think probably like what is the thing that maybe doesn't work the most with this what's like the biggest like shortcoming or like thing keeping it from i have to say i don't know if this is just because we're watching a remastered version of something from 1987 um but the makeup that they use for data (laughs) it looks like they went into a sephora got them some liquid highlighter and just slathered it on they're like okay (laughs) go to set you're a robot now um (laughs) the makeup is still pretty heavy even on some of the other actors um i think uh, a big shortcoming is the actors are still feeling each other out i think john delancey and patrick stewart have great chemistry because they're extremely seasoned performers Mm. and they can hop into a variable situation and be able to handle it due to their experience and then you have poor will wheaton who got criticized for his performance in the role and he's a kid Mm -hmm. um but the chemistry among some like 
Troy and Riker are supposed to have a history. That's still a little wonky. It's still a little rocky. I think the actors are still getting used to each other as people. They're still getting used to being on set together, spending 12-hour days together, sharing a trailer maybe. And sometimes that awkwardness uh, plays. Mm. Mm-hmm. I think one interesting thing for me is, and some of this changes as it goes on, but some of the depiction of the the women characters is interesting in this. Um particularly Troy and Yar. Um, they're both, all the men seem very stoic and grounded and just nothing really phases us, except for maybe Worf. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, just like... But then Yar, almost every line she has is her just like this kind of hothead. Captain! Ugh! Yeah. Um, and Troy, almost every line she has is almost like her whole character is that I just feel everyone's stuff. And it's just kind of interesting. Like they really play up. Crusher doesn't have a huge role in this. She kind of has this motherly kind of thing though. Like that's basically her character trait. She's the doctor, but she's mostly just played as Wesley's mom, Dr. Mom, Dr. Mom. (laughs) So with all three of them, they really just play up either this, like women are emotional or women are like Mm. motherly caregiver. So, you can see they're like the, the original show mostly just had a hoorah on the back thing, hailing frequencies open. So it's like now there's more female representation. It does still seem kind of rooted though. And you could see Tasha having a lot of power. Yep. She is chief of security. Yep. So, you know, right. all of those men answer to her. That's true. But you still got to write her as a person, you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. kind of fall short a little bit. I feel like it wouldn't be so much of an issue if they gave her a little more mm-hmm. like than just those lines if they had some other lines to help kind of balance her out and then we got to know more about her uh, we just get this kind of one-off line she was like where she implies that she grew up on some horrible planet mm. and the federation's like her savior but that's it yeah Other, you know otherwise she's just you know the hothead security officer she did have one one little moment where picard is like are you really suggesting we fight this guy right now and she takes a step back and she thinks, she's like, I'm sorry, I thought I spoke before I thought. And mm. she actually has a real moment. I don't know. I thought it was a nice. It was another nice checking the box for her introduction. As a, as actress, okay, nice we got her story. Mm. Okay, we got the robot guy. We got mm-hmm. the, the Klingon guy. <laughs> there, there was a whole checklist that they had to get. Yeah. They got the checklist. Not sure it makes the most cohesive, interesting story. Um, also, Jordy, we talked about while we're watching it. He's like, he is basically defined by the fact that he's blind. Oh my gosh! They referred to it every time they talked about him. <laughs> it's one of those things like if you would think in the future that you would talk about someone's disability a little bit better than in 1987, <laughs> that you'd be aware Just that like, not at all, maybe. Rip, like his his entire. The one thing we learn about him is he's blind, and everyone's like, "Do you see what I see?" Like, ah, remember? And it's like, "See you later." I'd be, I'd be real, I'd be real pissed off if I was him. Even like the little background scene he has, where he's talking with Doctor Crusher, where it's like, "Hey, here's where we get to learn about Jordy, and what do they talk about?" I was born blind, Checklist. and this hurts. Apparently, he's in pain all the time when he wears that thing. Where's where's like space HR like for Starfleet? <laughs> Everyone is just referring to me based on my lack of vision or my amazing vision. It's One Counselor of the two. Troy. You know, Wesley's <laughs> on the bridge. Was I'm sensing you're upset about this. 
Mm-hmm. Say what? Uh, Wesley Snipes was offered that role of uh, Jordy. Jordy Whoa! Yeah. Huh. Oh, could you imagine? That would have been a very Wesley interesting Snipes. A, a direction the show would have gone. I think there's a few other in- little interesting casting notes for like the really hardcore fans. You either know or don't know that one of the actors who was up for Riker was Jeffrey Combs, who goes on to play a bunch of characters in Star Trek. He plays Wayun in Deep Space Nine. He plays Brunt in Deep Space Nine, and he plays Shran in Enterprise. Yeah, he was up for the role of Riker. Wow. Um, interesting, right? Yes. Um, I think there's some other ones, but that's the only one I can think of off the top of my head. Um, you know, Aaron, when, I, when we were watching this, this, this reminded me, because a little bit ago we watched Star Trek The Motion Picture, the mm-hmm. first Star Trek film, which is also a very Gene Roddenberry-heavy production. It's a lot of his vision for that film. Um there are some kind of uh, borrowed elements from that movie. Um, the theme song mm-hmm. is yeah. just straight from the first Star Trek We're movie. We're just going to co-op that. That's ours just now. Just full on take it. Um, great. Yoink. Yep. Um, the Riker-Troy dynamic, it's like this is basically Decker and Ilea from Star Trek The Motion Picture. Like the star, this the young Starfleet officer who was assigned to the empath's home planet and they mm-hmm. knew each other. They haven't seen each other in years. And there's like the kind of romantic reunion. Yeah. It's the same, same kind backstory. of, same kind of a thing. And also this idea of, cause in the first Star Trek film, it's this whole movie about confronting this massive godlike intelligence that they don't know what it is. And the whole movie is about figuring out what this thing is that's approaching earth. Yeah. And Q while very different, is also this kind of godlike being that because in that first movie they kind of ha- it's very humanistic and they have to demonstrate humanity to Viger mm-hmm. and it's the same thing in here where they have to demonstrate humanity to Q. Yeah, I feel like that's a big thing for Gene is is humanity proving itself to some higher intelligence or, or humanity fighting against beings that claim to be gods too. Like mm. he, he, I think he takes a big issue with God. Yeah, because Gene Ronberry is very staunchly atheist, mm-hmm. um, and th- some, that is always something I find interesting. Is yeah, I'm th- I myself am atheist, and there's not a lot of atheists even now is still kind of like no, no, no. There could always be something out there, but in in both that movie and this, he is exploring this almost atheistic notion of what a god could be. Yeah, he's not like this divine being, but Q is essentially this all powerful being as far as we can see. He can do whatever he wants and. But he's this kind of flawed, fucked up, like, who just, who are you? Like, why are you doing this to us? Fuck you, dude. And he's just kind of just <laughs> has this kind of casual brutality and whatever. Very much like a, the Old Testament God in the Bible, I'd say. Like, I'm going to sacrifice this. I'll challenge the <laughs> devil to a bet like that. You know, like, so cavalier about humanity, this thing that he created. Let's just have, like, a plague of locusts. Like, why not? Wapa. I was just in a silly, goofy mood. <laughs> It is kind of like, now that you say that, I'm like, it almost is like the biblical, the Old Testament God, because throughout the whole run of Next Generation, Q keeps coming back and coming up with these new ways to test Yeah, the crew of the Enterprise as being proxies for humanity. And it's just like, it's almost like God in the Old Testament just coming down. It's like inflicting and just now this, now this. All right, Abraham. Prove, prove your worthiness, you know, of my love or whatever. And it's mm-hmm. kind of a similar thing where Q keeps showing up, but it's like, you must prove yourself. <laughs> Wild. Don't worship that golden calf. It's a test. <laughs> yeah, but unlike so the biblical. so pretty, though. You've seen the calf. <laughs> <laughs> 
the fun thing is that it's like, and this is like a, it's still a very Christian nation. It's very much prepared as like, don't worship this guy. This, this is not a being worthy of worship or anything. Very interesting. There's not a, like, especially for back in the day, it's kind of like a, in your face to like yeah. theists. It's like beings like this, fuck you. Humanity's better than you. It's kind of the stance he takes. I'm like, that's kind of, especially for like, a, again, for like a 90% Christian nation, that's kind of <laughs> in oh, your face. It is. <laughs> All right, Richard Dawkins, calm down. <laughs> co-written by richard dawkins <laughs> um yeah that's always something i find very interesting just trying to kind of look at something like that critically and positing human as it as if it's better very mm-hmm. interesting idea uh when i think so much of like discourse over the centuries has been this notion of humans are this depending on of course your spiritual belief or whatever it's like there's always this kind of like humans are either like fallen from grace or like they're imperfect or, you know, beneath some kind of a thing. And it's always just this kind of, you know, you have to here's but here's how you can either, I don't know, purify yourself or come closer to the truth. So you can be a more spiritual online being and Star Trek takes a very, at least Star Trek next generation takes a very different tag. Anytime they come across something that's like passing itself off as this beyond thing, they're like, fuck that. Mm-hmm. Nuh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> very, very interesting. We are humans. God can be explained by science. Essentially. Science. <laughs> just, oh, you're just advanced. That's all. Not yeah, just just an advanced thing. Exactly. Um, yeah. Well, very wild. I, st- I feel like you still don't see a lot of shows that take such a stance like that. Even now, you still don't see a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um. And, like, taking a stance like that, but still balancing it with, like, optimism. Right. Absolutely. Because um, it's not it's not portrayed as hubris in this. It's 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 portrayed as, like, no. No, we are worthy to... to we, we deserve to be able to think of ourselves in a positive light. Mm-hmm. It's not just hubris to have a positive self-image. And, you know, humans are fucked up. But, you know, we do a lot of good stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's the important thing to focus on. Very yeah. interesting. I've always wanted to see other shows. Like for me, Star Trek is still it's one, of the, it's one of the reasons why I like it so much. It just feels so unique in that regard. I would love to see other shows try to do something similar, where it does kind of have this kind of more positive, optimistic thing, but it's not Star Trek. There's just so few examples out there to find. It's it's kind of hard to come by, kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, still feels very singular. Sure, yeah. I think Stargate hits that out of the park sometimes not all the time the tv I have, show i haven't seen stargate Maybe except for the, except for the movie yeah. except for the movie james spader the james oh, yeah. spader yeah. The yeah. kurt russell yeah. film <laughs> i have seen that maybe that's our next podcast the rolling stargate yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> moving on to one of the other stars yeah i mean at some point maybe we're, we're, we'll run out of shows we'll have to find star trek like shows <laughs> to replace it i mean if you guys keep going on just the general like sci-fi just like what civilian life is in the future I, I would like to nominate Cowboy Bebop. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Cowboy I, Bebop. I would come back a lot for that. I love Cowboy Bebop. What did you think of the Netflix show? I have not seen it, and I do not intend to. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Talk about taking a stance. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm busy. I'm not going to watch things that uh, I'm not interested in. You know, there's not enough time for hate-watching things. Sure, or for things a reimagining. Like 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that got time for that shit. Potentially destroy the thing you once loved, right? Uh, and it's like one of those things too, like, you know, there there are a lot of great people in the cast, like, um, you know, there's a lot of things that went into it that led to kind of a misunderstanding of what the original series is about. And, you know, it's not ru- worth ruining anyone's life over anything. Like, I think it's just like, if you don't like something, you don't like a take on it. You don't have to watch it. You don't have to spend all this energy getting angry about something. Like it's literally just a Netflix series that got canceled. Uh, <laughs> oh no! I'm gonna make a subreddit about it, and we're gonna have a hate culture focused on that thing. Yeah. It's like I'm just gonna move on with my life. I'm just gonna watch the original series and the the movie again. Uh, That's kind of interesting that now they bring that up. When this came out, this got a vitriolic response. Really? From the Star Trek fans, I'm sure. Oh, for years. For years, even before the internet, Star Trek fans were so vocal and just, not all of them, of course, but just like, there was a, definitely like a very loud contingent of fans that were like, fuck this. This is the worst shit ever. But then you just want to be like, if you don't like it, you don't have to watch it. Like No one's holding a gun to your head and is like, you are going to turn into UPN tonight at 8 p.m. <laughs> and you're going to watch this. We're going to do that thing in like the clockwork orange. Like make your eyes open. <laughs> right. I was like, just, just change the channel. Just watch something else. It's fine. I always go back to that comic that's like, shh, let people enjoy things. I used to be so critical of people's fandoms and things like music or whatever they choose to enjoy. It's like, who gives a fuck? Who gives a fuck? Just let people enjoy. It's called yucking someone's yum. I've learned. Don't yuck my yum. Yeah, there are things out there I don't like. There are some of the new Star Trek shows I'm not a big fan of, but I'm like, but if you like it, like, like, please enjoy it. Like, but this idea, it's like, fuck you for liking it too. Mm -hmm is also part of the discourse. It's like, why? <laughs> or even that you can't even have a nuanced take to like, I like this, but this could be better about it. I like this, but I don't like how this is approached. Um, nope, it's all very black and white. Uh, mm-hmm. Don't don't love that. <laughs> no, and yeah, because with this show, it eventually gets incredible. Like one of the best TV shows ever made. Well, Jaren, you're wrong and fuck you. Oh, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> That's something I actually keep hearing more and more is people crying out for nuanced discussion. Like, it's like, guys, we can talk about stuff. It's okay. We can bring out more than just the black and white. The shades of gray are fun to explore. Bring back media be, literacy. Yeah. No. Pay better be attention in your high school English classes. Please, and thank you. That's one of the fun things for about doing this podcast is even though we've come across some real clunkers, it's we always have fun, though, still talking about them mm-hmm. and like... This was still fun, and we had a good time, and here's what we did like. But here's also what we did like, if there was anything. And we still have a good time. It's like you can – there are ways to approach this where you don't have to just like, yeah, fuck this. Like, And then also people who claim it's like, not only is this bad, this is ruining all of it. I'm like, no, the, if you just like the 60s Star Trek show, that's – still there you can go watch it it's like no it's ruined now i'm like why why (laughs) how so (laughs) how is it retroactively ruined it it is and it's ruined for you too you're just too too stupid to realize it (laughs) uh you know i'm i love having honest discussions and and you know opinions but this other baggage that comes with it this is this almost there's a very there's this very american thing of 
it's my opinion and I'm sticking to it. And it's like my belief and me sticking to my belief. That's what's important. Mm -hmm. I'm like to a degree, but like, like you're welcome to have that. Right. But it's like, just to be so just, how dare you? Like somehow you having a different belief threatens mine. I'm like, are are you just so like weak minded? Like we're just on different teams now. That's what it is (laughs) forever. It's wild. Yeah, I, I, that's kind of disheartening, especially for Star Trek. I'm like, you, I think you've missed the point of like what the show's trying to get at. Like, you know. <laughs> I feel like that's just such like a, a common thing, just like in fandom as well. It's like no matter what themes are being explored, like, um, like personal ego kind of sometimes will come before anything that can be learned from like the topics explored in a piece of media. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, some things n- certainly never change. <laughs> um, any other like final thoughts on this one before we start to wrap it up? It gets better. Oh, it, it, it most certainly gets better. Um, I guess speak, I just got coming back around to like that first question. It's like, how does this, how, like, in terms of like reimagining something, how do we feel like this kind of does reimagining Star Trek? I think they really take a huge bite trying to uh, reimagine so much in, you know, one like 90 minute episode that they're like, we have to address every single thing, we have this checklist. We have to introduce all of these characters. We have to show all the th- ways that things have changed in a hundred years in a couple, couple minutes. <laughs> but um, I feel like the foundation work is definitely there. Like they're really on the right track. And the fact that this is a series and not just a one-off thing, I think really, you know, I, from what I understand, mm-hmm. allows them to really flesh this out a lot more. Yeah. I would agree. It's it's all even if it's not not the most amazing thing we've ever seen, everything is there, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sets up something that could be really interesting. I appreciate its boldness. Boldly they boldly going. go, <laughs> <laughs> as it were. <laughs> it does feel very audacious. It, it does. Yes, it's they they fucking swing for the fence. Yes, they really do. And uh, and why not? If you you're ha- going you to make to. a new Star Trek show, then make a new Star Trek show. You have to. If they had just done the same thing, yeah. that shit would have been canceled so fast. Mm-hmm. You have to. You have to swing for the fences. Um, especially if it's the first time. Now it's like, I don't know. Now there's so much. <laughs> we could also do this. We could do this. Yeah, so that that took a lot of courage and yeah. spunk to put it out there in this way. And and I think Patrick Stewart, um, that casting decision in itself was going out on a limb. Here's this totally unknown that's now going to be the head of this well-known, multiple decades-long franchise. I think he saves the show. Oh, yeah. yeah. Rolling the dice. Um, Do you know originally Gene Ronberry did not want Patrick Stewart? How? And, and was adamant that he didn't want him? Uh, originally Jean-Luc Picard was envisioned very much as like this uh, first off a Frenchman 
um, <laughs> not British. <laughs> uh, Notes of Scottish in there. Yeah, Jean-Luc Picard was origin. He envisioned the character, yes, older and more mature, but as like a French Renaissance man, like a romantic poet mm. of a cat, like a very romantic captain, not like Kirk. But as a man who enjoys art and literature, and yeah. you do see that with Picard as the show goes on. Not, not a thought. Like <laughs> no. Um, and so he wanted this kind of, you know, f- still kind of older but dashing Frenchman kind of a thing. And but they said, "Have you seen this guy?" And he, they showed him the picture, and he was like, "I'm not having a bald, a short bald British guy as my captain." <laughs> He just like, no, this is stupid. But eventually they showed him like some, they took him to a, I think a theater thing he was doing and they showed him do his thing. He was like, all right, you might be on something. (laughs) (laughs) Just, just, just watch it, Gene. Just watch him. Um, I think that was the biggest thing he was against though. Like the fact that he was bald, Hmm. which is now (laughs) so iconic. That speaks to the progressiveness though. Yeah. You know, that seems absurd now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> In the future, anything could happen. A bald guy <laughs> can pilot a ship. <laughs> yeah, now we're like, wow. <laughs> Do you ever see Crusher once suggest, like, you know, I could fix that for you. Like, I have a full head of hair in like 10 minutes. It's the 24th century. Come on, bro. But Gene thought it was a real issue. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. He didn't want to cast. That was the big reason why he didn't want to cast him. But then he was eventually just so taken by just his powerful right. presence. He's like, you're right. We would be idiots not to cast this guy. Um. Yeah, and save the show. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for coming on, everyone. It was really fun to get everyone together and watch this first episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation. It gets better. Um, Ellen, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm so glad we got you on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was a good time. Um, I'd love to have you come back on the show. Maybe because we got a whole bunch of Next Generation we're gonna be watching over the next several weeks. Maybe we'll come and get you on as like a noob to every once in a while. Stop in. It's like. Here's another. Here's another one. Nice. Here's another one to check out. Here's another one to check out. Maybe I'd we'll, be down for that. We'll see. I'll bring more uh, white truffle popcorn. Yes, please. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, guys. Ellen brought this white truffle popcorn, and wow, what a what a surprise! What a delight. Trader Joe's, obviously. Right. Yeah. Shout obviously. out to Trader Joe. <laughs> Thank you for uh, providing the snacks, uh, Trader Joe's. <laughs> Please I don't know if you guys are at the point yet of getting like sponsorship deals, but maybe <laughs> maybe Joe, We're if he's listening. Elon. Joe, any of you out there? I need a Diet Coke. <laughs> <laughs> Brought to you by Diet Coke and Trader Joe's. Um, Jake, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Sure, man. Thanks for having me. Um, we are planning to have you back on a few times. Um, Star Trek The Next... The original show doesn't do this as much, but Star Trek The Next Generation um, gets into some like recurring plot lines and recurring characters, whereas the original show was very just a bunch of just single individual episodes. We're gonna so we're gonna start getting like some ongoing story arcs and Jake, we're gonna have you come on and come talk about the Q and the Enterprise Ooh, episodes. I cannot so, wait. This was also our first Q and the Enterprise episode and we have many, many, many more to come. Yes, yes, yes. Um uh, so we're gonna have you come on and talk about all those with us. I'm excited to have you come on and kind of track this journey together hell yeah man um aaron wow we got a whole new section of the podcast started here we go season two yeah start to the next generation as much as i enjoyed watching the original series which is because it's it is my nostalgic favorite is the old 60s show 
I always love getting to all the next generation and golden age stuff because eventually we're going to be hitting like Deep Space Nine and Voyager and that's all part of this huge giant era of Star Trek so it'll be fun to kind of check all that out very exciting it's been so fun watching through it with my wife yeah Yeah. is this her first time watching it Uh, no but it is mine for the most part it is yours my wife my My wife wife. (laughs) (laughs) wow whoa (laughs) um well um next time um we're going to be continuing this journey into the growing pains of the next generation. Um, next time we're going to be looking at our, so there, um, in the old show, we had the Romulans, we had the Klingons as the old continuing adversaries of the old crew. And they decide to invent new adversaries for Star Trek, the next generation. So next episode, we're going to get our look at Star Trek, the next generation's first adversary, recurring adversary, who are name dropped in this episode, the Ferengi. Oh yeah. <laughs> the big bads. The big bads of Star Trek the Next Generation. Oh boy. We are in for a treat next time, guys. Um so yeah, and we'll have a new friend for that one. Um so looking forward to that. Um Thanks everyone for coming on. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for having us. Um thank you all for listening at home. Um hope you enjoyed it. Um and if not, well, I'm sure there are other podcasts you can listen to. <laughs> um, no, nope. hate on us, please. Don't, don't hate on us, please. It, it'll please. give us any kind of publicity. So go for <laughs> it. <laughs> um, thanks for watching. All we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to share your own Star Trek story or give us a hot take on the episode we just watched, you can join the conversation by visiting our Discord server. You can find us by clicking on the link in the show description.